listening to Journeys, a bite-sized podcast produced by Comma DC, which is a nonprofit organization providing a platform for immigrants in the DMV area to share their stories, skills, and ideas. I'm your host, Halla Flynn, and today's guest is Elena, who manages a legal education program for unaccompanied migrant children funded by the Department of Justice. Elena, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I will introduce myself the same way I do in all my meetings. Hola, buenas tardes. Hello, good afternoon. My name is Elena. I am an immigrant. Diversity is my superpower and I managed a program for unaccompanied children. I was born and raised in Lisboa, Portugal, and I live in Washington DC. The US is my home now. Back in in the four in the 30s and 40s, my country was a dictatorship until 1974. And uh, people were very, very, very poor. They there were no jobs, there was no social social mobility. Till to this day, uh, till this day, social mobility is an issue, but at the time was of course it was even worse. And my family was very poor. My great uncle was um was sharing a house, a studio, without a bathroom with 14 family members. So 14 family members lived in this tiny place and they, they, they barely had uh, enough food to, to eat. So one day uh, he decided that he wanted to migrate to the United States. And he found out about a boat that would come to the US. So he hiding this boat and but midway through the trip the the crew found him and they detained him he was sent to portugal and at the time migration was a crime it was defecting so he was sent to a to a jail for political prisoners and he eventually died at age 40 in the same studio with the same 14 family members and hungry. And this really reminds me that, you know, talent is universal. Everyone has a talent, but opportunity is not. Wow, that's a great point. So can you tell me how that compares to your journey? What do you remember about your last days in Portugal and your first days in the U.S.? Of course, I still remember the anxiety and the excitement, the countdown. I, I remember being in the, in the plane from Newark to Chicago. I, I first moved to Chicago when I came to the US. And as the plane was taking off, I, I cried. I cried like a baby, but it was tears of, of joy. I, I felt for the first time in my life free to be myself without you know labels or judgment i i knew that i was i was heading for freedom and i had an opportunity to start from from scratch and i still feel the same way i feel free to be myself and that's an amazing feeling talking about freedom as a main theme in american culture what did you know at the time as a young person about american culture and how is that different from what you know and feel now? 
So to be honest, <laughs> I didn't know much about American culture. I like to think about America as a mix of cultures, a mix uh, of cultures that are brought here by immigrants. And, you know, when I came here, something that really surprised me was the kindness and willingness of, of the people um, and the diversity. I, I didn't know the mean, I think I never used the word diversity back in Europe and I didn't really know the meaning of the, of the word until I moved to the US. And uh, it's, it was impressive for me that to see that so much diversity could fit in one room. Uh, you know, sometimes I find most myself, very often I find myself in, in a room with people from all over around the world. And that is really uh, empowering, inspiring, and it's so different from what I experienced back home. And also the, you know, the, I know that sometimes we see things in, in a different perspective, but also equity, I, that was also new to me. I, for the first time I saw women leaving and uh, having the last word without apologizing about it. And this was also coming from a very sexist culture. Uh, this was very empowering and this helped me to be, uh, to be a better version of myself. So you mentioned earlier that talent is universal, but opportunity is not. How did that shape your expectation of what opportunities you might have to find your talent when you came to the US? When I moved here, I was in my early 30s. So at that time, I was still trying to find my, uh, my skill, my talent, uh, the thing that differentiated me from everyone else. And uh, in Chicago, I felt very lost because I didn't speak the language. I was still trying to adjust to my new life, um, trying to figure out so many things. And when I moved to, to DC, I, I decided to volunteer for an organization called Kids in Need of Defense. It's a, a nonprofit that helps uh, immigrant children with their immigration cases. And I was working with, uh, with an attorney. I was assisting his attorney, Andrew, on, uh, on an immigration case. You know, we had uh, screened this kid, was, we were uh, helping, we were um, drafting the, the declaration and Andrew knew nothing about my search for my talent or skill. Uh, and so after this meeting with the client, he told me, you have a skill. You are really, really good at talking to people. And at that time I was like, oh, whoa, is this my skill? Is, you know, I, I, I didn't even know that being a people's person was a thing. I always knew <laughs> that I was a people's person, but without knowing the word, without knowing the meaning of, of this. And of course, I didn't know this was a talent. And at the moment, at that moment, when Andrew said this, I realized that my talent was always there, but I was so obsessed in trying to find the traditional path that I didn't realize that I had a unique talent that cannot be learned. And over time, I heard this 
uh, from other people, you know, how this skill is special and unique because you cannot learn it. And it was always there. And I didn't know. And that's an invaluable skill for sure. I'm glad that he was able to help you see that about yourself. So the casework you just mentioned, can you take me and our listeners through the journey that unaccompanied minors make to this country? So, of course, so these kids that you are seeing in the news, they, um, so they came mostly from Central America. They travel four weeks, months by bus, uh, train, cars, um, many times they are by themselves. They, once they get to, to Mexico, they try to cross to the U.S. They have to cross a river. Most of them, they, they don't know how to swim. So this is very dangerous for them. Um, once they get to the, to the U.S., they are uh, screened by the, the by, they are apprehended. They are screened by the, the border uh, protection, by the CBP, and then they are kept in facilities. In the past, the kids would be kept in these facilities up to 48 hours because these are places that are not meant to keep uh, anyone, let alone children. Uh, for a long period of time, because you know there there are no conditions. The kids are sleeping on the floor. Uh, they probably I heard this very often in the past. They have access to one meal per day. Usually, it's a microwave meal. It's not a fresh meal. Uh, they they go hungry. The AC is very is is play, it's, it's very cold there in these places. They keep the AC very uh, how do I say this very high. Uh, so the, these these uh, these uh, these rooms are very very cold. They don't have any attention. They they stay there. They are staying there. We due to the, the the high number of arrivals right now, they are staying in these facilities for weeks until they are transferred to uh, detention centers. And then when they get to these detention centers, the caseworkers there start the reunification process with their relatives in the United States. So in, in, in general, it takes months for them to unify with their parents. It's the day they leave their home country until they, um, they are released from detention. Got it. So during that very long and harrowing journey, where do you and your colleagues come in? We screen the children after they, be, they, they are released. When they, once they are released from the detention centers, we uh, offer them an orientation so they know their rights in the United States because the lack of documents does not mean that they don't have rights. They have rights and we want them to know their rights. And uh, so after they, they, they are released from the detention centers, that's when we have the first contact with these children and their parents. And what is that like for you to be one of the first people that they come into contact with once they've arrived here? I feel an enormous responsibility, especially in the, even the, the environment in the last four years. I want to make sure that they feel welcome here, regardless of what they, they hear in the news. I want them to make sure that they belong here like everyone else. And I, I always tell them that we feel honored for, him, for having them here. I also tell them that, you know, immigrants 
like them and their parents are welcome to this country and they make this country great. And I also tell them that they are free to be who they want to be here, uh, that here everything is normal and achievable. And as I told you before, that the lack of documents does not mean anything. They are human beings and they have rights. Thinking about what the last four years have been like um, politically and culturally in the United States, and knowing that it's your, your job and your responsibility to affirm all of those ideas to them, are there ever times where you say that to them and you don't necessarily believe what you're saying? There are times, there were times where I wondered what I was, if what, what I was saying was, was true, uh, because, you know, it was not about the laws. The laws are, were, were the same before and are, they, are they are still the same, pretty much the same. It was the words, it was the, the, the words mean a lot. And I remember that in, in 2016, I was in a, in a constitutional law class at GW when Trump came to, to the city for the first time after the, the election. And I remember looking at my classmates in silence and wonder, wonder about, you know, what they thought about me. Did they think that I, I was stealing their jobs, that I was <laughs> bringing drugs into the country? Um, everything crossed my mind. So in these past four years, when I was saying these words, many times I wondered if I was being truthful to myself and to these kids, but still I wanted to make them feel welcomed here. You bring up a great point about how people's perceptions of immigrants are different based on the stories that we hear or the ways that we are led to believe that there is a right or a wrong way to come to the United States, right? Our culture either punishes or rewards different types of immigrants. So what does it mean to belong in the United States? It's a really hard question. What you just said, it's so true. We, we, we look down uh, on people that come here with nothing and work really, really hard to put food on their tables. And we look hard, we look uh, down on people that don't speak the language. We look down on people that speak the language with an accent. We look down on people that cross deserts and survived unspeakable violence to be here. And when we look at, at the immigrants from Central America and we say, you know, they are so poor, they live in crowded houses, they are not educated. Not so far ago, Europeans were in the same situation and they were also fleeing violence and, um, and poverty. It's the same type of, of, um, of situation, but we tend to, to look at these people through different lens. And it's, it's, it's really ironic. I believe that we all came from somewhere to a land that does not belong to us. And we must welcome the ones that come after us, regardless of their country of origin, education, or language skills. That's what I believe, that we all fit. But this land does not belong to us. Thank you. That's very profound and a helpful reminder that this land was not ours in the first place. Yes. 
so very beautifully put and, and thoughtful. Thank you so much for sharing all of your ideas and for being on our episode. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Alina, for being with us for this last episode of Journey Season 1. Thanks to our listeners for supporting Comma DC, and please be sure to subscribe so that you know the moment we release Season 2 next summer. For more stories told by immigrants in the DMV community, visit our website, commadc.org, or follow us on Instagram at comma.dc. 